This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. The daiquiri, it's a drink everyone's heard of, but many people think of as a pink slushy containing copious amounts of inexpensive, nondescript alcohol. My name's Brian Vincent Weber. This is the podcast that talks all about bartending and cocktails and spirits. Today, we'll go deep into this important classic cocktail. We'll also get some rum education from the rum ambassador himself, Ian Burrell. We'd like to thank Bayou Rum and Prichard's Rum for supporting this episode and providing plenty of rum to play with as we mix up some daiquiris. What the bartending community sometimes refers to as a classic daiquiri is a very different drink than the slushy, artificially colored and flavored thing that many people think of as a daiquiri. A frozen daiquiri can be delicious, but a classic daiquiri is simply three ingredients, shaken until very cold and served without ice in a chilled cocktail glass or a coupe. It's arguably one of the most important drinks for any bartender to master. This wonderful cocktail is a delicate balance of rum, freshly squeezed lime juice, and simple syrup. Just as the simple omelet is considered a gauge of a cook's talent, a bartender's daiquiri is a clue into a bartender's skill, methodology, and education. What makes this drink so important? For one, the bartender must perfectly balance the three ingredients. Too much lime juice or not enough sugar and the drink will be too tart and make your face pucker. Too much sugar and the result will be obvious. Not enough rum and the drink will be flabby. As it's it's shaken, a fourth ingredient is actually added, water. Diluting the drink with the perfect amount of water from the melting ice is a technique that takes skill, precision, instinct, and experience. I think there's another reason this cocktail is so important for the bartender to understand and be able to prepare properly. This drink gives a basic sour-style drink, like a whiskey sour. Just as the culinary world has five mother sauces, we have categories of cocktails. The sour is the basis for countless drinks. Substitute gin for the rum and you have a gimlet. Substitute tequila and add a little orange liqueur, it's a margarita. You can make a uh, Mai Tai. Maybe you feel like having a daiquiri, but you decide to serve it in a tall glass with ice and a bit of club soda, maybe with some uh, mint. Guess what? You just made a mojito. Include the seltzer, but leave out the mint and add a little lemon juice, and it's a Tom Collins. The variations are virtually endless, and it's easy to invent new drinks based on what you happen to have on hand with this base. The three ingredients of a classic daiquiri are in a portion of, give or take, two parts strong, spirit, one part sour, lime juice, one part sweet, simple syrup. In fact, daiquiri connoisseur and proponent, the late great Sasha Petrosky, specifies in his book regarding cocktails, two ounces of rum, three quarters of an ounce to one ounce of freshly squeezed lime juice and three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup. Others will use less sugar, saying that half an ounce of simple syrup is enough, although some will use a rich simple syrup. We'll talk more about that later. The quality of each ingredient is crucial. There's no place to hide substandard products here. Rum, of course, is the most plentiful ingredient. Many bartenders have researched such grueling work, I know, extensively to determine the perfect amount of rum, the perfect rum or a combination of rums for their daiquiri. Traditionally, it's silver rum, which is either unaged or has been aged in a wood barrel, then filtered to remove the color imparted by the wood. Lime juice is a critical part of this drink. Forget about anything that comes pre-packaged. Freshly squeezed juice is the only option. Many people, including myself, do believe that keeping juice in the refrigerator for about four hours produces the perfect juice. In fact, Dave Arnold did a blind tasting with a group of professional bartenders who overwhelmingly chose a limeade made with juice that had been refrigerated for four hours. Uh, They prefer that over the one that was made with freshly squeezed juice. After about 24 hours in the refrigerator, though, the lime juice really loses all its fresh flavor and becomes pretty unpalatable. 
There's also the question of which method will be used to extract the juice. The Sunkiss commercial citrus juicer is found in many bars. It's fast and produces a good yield. However, I've found that I prefer the taste of juice from a small, inexpensive, handheld clamshell style juicer. I think it's because the oils from the zest are incorporated into the juice, where in the uh, the commercial, the Sunkiss commercial juicer, it's a cone, it spins around, and the, and the oils from the zest are never incorporated. It also will tear up the uh, pith more, I think, so the juice should, will be more, more bitter. I explored all this at length in Bartender Journey podcast number 214. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. We've talked about the rum and the lime juice, now on to the sugar. Simple syrup is, of course, just granulated sugar dissolved in water in a proportion of one-to-one. It's important to measure, ideally by weight, to ensure the consistent results. Some bartenders prefer a rich simple syrup for their daiquiris in a proportion of two parts sugar to one part water. But you can also experiment with different types of sugar. I prefer Demerara, which is like that sugar in the raw. It does affect the color of the drink a little bit, but I think the taste is worth it. As previously mentioned, the cocktail is shaken with ice, not just to chill the drink, but to dilute it with water. You may hear that a shaken cocktail should be about 20% water, but referencing again Sasha Petrosky, he would encourage his protégés to think of in term, think of it all in terms of ABV, you know, how much uh, alcohol ends up in the drink in the end. This takes into consideration the alcohol content of the rum, which varies a bit from brand to brand. In the bartending community, there's much talk about the size and quality of various types of ice. In the great book Liquid Intelligence, The Art and Science of the Perfect Cocktail, Dave Arnold states that there's no difference in quality of the finished drink, uh, the daiquiri specifically, whether using small hollow cubes, uh, what we call hotel ice, and one and a quarter inch solid cubes from a cold draft ice machine. However, he was surprised by his own experiment when uh, doing this at Tales of the Cocktail using two in front of a bunch of people. He was surprised to find that using a two-inch ice cube and the drink came out with a noticeably better head and texture. His recommendation now is to use two-inch ice cubes plus a few smaller agitator cubes. I think what you have to conclude here is that the lar- with the larger cube, you're shaking the drink longer to get to the proper temperature and dilution, and so more air is introduced into the drink. So it's a little foamier and a nicer, um, nicer texture. One last wild card and personal preference. Before I start shaking, I like to add a couple of drops of a saline solution made by dissolving some sea salt in warm water. I store it in a little dropper bottle, which ensures that I don't ruin ruin the drink with too much salt. I find that this little bit of salinity works great in many cocktails, but especially well in the daiquiri. Maybe it's that hint of sea air in this tropical drink. So on the surface, it would seem to be a simple cocktail, but as we dig deeper into what makes up this drink wonderful, we see that there are subtleties that affect the final product. Let's talk to Ian Burrell, and then we'll make some daiquiris and learn a little history about him. Ian, the self-appointed rum ambassador. Appointed <laughs> <laughs> uh, my own title for myself, but uh, <laughs> whether anyone listens to me, that's another, that's another thing. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, I love that story. You just uh, decided for yourself that you were going to be the uh, rum ambassador, and and, uh, and you made it so. That's, that's right. awesome. Pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the theme, the theme today is kind of uh, why the classic daiquiri is such an important cocktail for uh, for bartenders to to master. You know, would you agree okay. with that? Yeah, it's um, for me. It's uh, quintessentially yeah the most iconic uh, rum drink. Um, I mean, if you look at the DNA of um, most rum cocktails, uh, especially uh, the tropical tiki cocktails, they have a daiquiri within it. <laughs> uh, rum, 
rum, lime, and, and, a, and a sweetener um, of some sort or sugar of some sort. So, um, yeah, the daiquiri is the quintessentially the rum cocktail. And uh, in the hands of a, when made by a really good bartender, um, it could be an amazing drink. Um, it could be also a terrible drink <laughs> when it's made, when it's made uh, incorrectly or when it's unbalanced. That's right. Yeah, that's why I think it's so important to uh, to to get it right. And uh, and and I think yeah. every uh, you know, with only three ingredients, you really have to uh, concentrate on the on the quality of each of those three ingredients. You know. Yeah, that's right. In fact, um, technically, some people might say, "Oh, it's actually four ingredients because the, the the dilution, the water, the ice mm-hmm. uh, is an important part of that as well." A daiquiri that's too warm um, is not a pleasurable drink um, as such, unless you're having it as a, a hot toddy, <laughs> <laughs> uh, where, where I'd substitute or squirt the, the sugar for some honey. Um, then that really gets rid of uh, any elements or any ailments um, as such. But then that's a different drink. That's more of like a cachanchara, as they say in, uh, in uh, Cuba. But um, uh, cachanchara or cachanchara, they've called it <laughs> um, as such. But um, yeah, uh, yeah, the ice, the dilution um, of, of a uh, particular daiquiri goes down really well. And, and also, you can't really dis- disregard the frozen daiquiri, of course, mm-hmm. um, because when you're in a nice hot country like Cuba or Puerto Rico or uh, any, any of the Caribbeans and you get a really good flash-blended frozen daiquiri where you can still taste the rum, you still get the sweetness, but you still got a nice um, um, a slushy drink that slowly... Um, slowly melts in that hot sun as you drink it and by the time you've finished it's pretty much all uh, diluted and that's a pleasurable experience, pleasurable drink so um, yeah so the, the ice and the water and the, the dilution is an important part of that drink as well that's right yeah and uh, like any drink, you know, a lot of times we think of the frozen daiquiri as being, uh, you know, a bad drink, but it's usually because it's just there's bad ingredients in it. You can make a delicious one with yeah. with great fresh ingredients. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's just, it's just, yeah. I always like when people say to me, like, what's the definition of a bad rum? I'm like, well, there's no such thing as a bad rum. They're just bad rum experiences. <laughs> um, so I might drink a rum, I'm like, oh, that's terrible. Or I drink a cocktail, oh, that's terrible. Someone else drinks it. Said, oh, that's absolutely amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. a totally different experience from me. Uh, who am I to say to them what you're drinking is bad or what you're drinking is all I can say is it's bad for me. Right. <laughs> um, but I shouldn't be, I shouldn't have the arrogance to actually say, oh, what you're drinking is bad. I tell someone else what to drink and how to drink it. Um, all they can do is ask me what, I, what is my opinion on the drink in my perspective. Um, so, yeah, I, I believe in bad, bad cocktail experiences. Uh, more so than bad <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot of sense but actually that kind of leads me to my next question what should we be looking for in a in a good rum because uh there's there's not a re- lot of regulation and there's uh it's sort of the sort of the wild west is when it comes to rum right well um there, there are a lot of there are a lot of regulations in rum um and it all depends on where it's made. Right. What there isn't a lot of, um, there isn't a lot of um, implementation of, of those rules and regulations by um, the by the um, the governing bodies, the powers of be, for example. Um, let's take the TTB, for example. There are certain pro- products that are sold on the market in the USA that don't even that are not even defined as rum by their own rules and regulations by their standards of identity. So these companies will will basically um, take advantage of the fact that the TTB are not, not holding up their, their, their regulation and sell a product that's technically not even rum mm-hmm. um, as such. But uh, let's say, for example, let's take Barbados, for example. There are rules and regulations on a rum in Barbados. 
how, how it's distilled, what, what it has to be made from, what you could declare on your label. So there are quite, quite strict rules in Barbados. Same as in Jamaica, Martinique, Puerto Rico, Cuba, Guyana. Um, so individual countries have rules and regulations just the same way as Scotland does uh, for their whiskey, just the same way as America does for some of their whiskeys. So when people say the rum, rums have the wild, uh, are like the wild, wild west, what it is, what they're actually confusing is the fact that rums are made in many, many more countries than whiskeys are. Um, but each of those, a lot of those countries have their own definitions of what rum is. Right. So it's down, it's down to the importing, the importing nations, the importing countries to actually define what rum, what rum is, which most of them have, and then enforce that. Right. So if I, if I make a rum, if I, sorry, if I make a product from sorghum, or if I make a product from uh, what else is the other crazy one, sugar beet, and I decide to sell it as rum in America, I shouldn't be allowed to use the word rum on the label. Right. But I can, I can. Uh, there are there are a few brands out there in America that are sold as rum that are made from those products. Rum has to be made from sugarcane uh, or a byproduct of sugarcane, and not sugar from other produce uh, or other crop. Um, so. That's that's the gray areas when it comes to rum. It's just not being enforced. The rules are not being enforced as such. So there are lots of misinformation about what rum is. And of course, some people will look at it and say, "Yeah, it's the wild, wild west." But if you if you if you learn about rums or uh, understand rum, then you realize that rums from certain regions will have strict guidelines, and they're the ones you should gravitate to uh, when you want to pay that 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 extra that extra bit of uh, uh, cash and money for for. Um, for, for something that's a bit more, what I like to say, a bit more um, prestigious or authentic, and then the others, well, just buy them on taste. <laughs> you right. like the taste of it? <laughs> you like the taste of it? Enjoy it. If you don't like the taste of it, don't enjoy it. But uh, there are a lot of products out there, especially sold in America, that are not technically rum, right. um, or, or not the age statements that they try to make out they are, or more of a cocktail in a bottle. Yeah, they taste sugar, good? right? Some do. Yeah, yeah. Do they taste good? Some do. Yeah. They, some don't. Uh, I mean, with the whole sugar thing, um, basically the, the rules and regulations are you're allowed to augment uh, the, the the flavor profile, the taste profile of the spirit with some of the raw material. So if, if rum has been made from sugar cane, then you're allowed to add some sugar back into that uh-huh. um, to correct to correct flavor. That's the rules. Now, what is the definition of correcting flavor? Is it one gram per liter? Or is it 50 grams at least? 50 grams of sugar. <laughs> um, if it goes over 100, then by law, that's a liqueur. So anything that's 99% gram, 99 grams of sugar per liter is technically rum according to, or a sweet rum, according to um, uh, TTB laws, EU laws, which is preposterous at the moment, I, I personally feel. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not against people adding sugar to their products as long as there's disclosure. And as long as I know beforehand, so I can say, yeah, that's a sweetened rum, um, where it's been sweetened, and that's a sweet rum because it tastes sweet because of the flavor coming from the barrels. Right, right. And some brands actually go out of their way to uh, enforce rules on themselves, like the uh, the yeah. Authentic Caribbean Rum, ACR organization, yep. right? Yeah. Uh, they do. I used to be a spokesperson for the ACR ah. um, when they first started off in about 2008, 2009. Uh, mainly in Europe, because I thought, uh, I was hoping that there were going to be a, a force um, to actually really get the Caribbean rum community um, together and promote in the same cause. But as, as, as you know, when it comes to politics, hmm. and you're dealing with several nations or several, several countries, 
several voices, several views. There's always going to be friction. So uh, within the ACR, there were companies that rum companies that were doing things that other rum companies weren't happy with. Mm. So uh, yeah, it became it became messy. Um, yeah. You go on one yeah you go on one web page and they'll say, oh, I'm making my rum, I'm distilling my rum and it's pure, it's clean, it's 96 percent alcohol by volume. Well, hello, in the, the TTV laws say that you cannot be defined as a rum if you're 96% alcohol by volume. You have to be less than 96. Uh, sorry, 95, in fact, in America, 96 mm. in Europe. Okay. So these companies were saying, yeah, we're making vodka and we're sticking in the barrels and we're calling it rum. Yeah. Um, so, and that was in within the ACR. Mm. And then you have other countries within the ACR saying, oh, no, that's wrong, that's wrong, and you shouldn't add anything to your rums. It should be pure, it should be this, and no sugars added, no wine. And then other countries within the ACR were adding wine to their products because, again, that was their tradition to sweeten mm-hmm. or to blend uh, wines within their rums. Um, so, again, it was a lot of, lot of conflicting information within one organization that's supposed to be represented authentic Caribbean rum. Um, so people walking away saying, so what is authentic Caribbean rum? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they, 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 they provoked a conversation, which is what rum needs, right. um, just like this whole classification or reclassification of rums. It provokes conversation, and, uh, and that's a good thing about it because it brings new people to the table. It, it brings uh, a lot of people that are saying, oh, let me try these, these rums, these pure rums that everyone's talking about. Um, as such, and see if they're as good as those single malts I'm drinking, or those bourbons I'm drinking, or rye I'm drinking. Yeah, and uh, so it has it has brought a lot of new people to the table. Right, and that's great. And uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> sipping rums is a is a phrase you hear every once in a while, and that's a yeah, yeah. That's a that's a great thing that people are uh, enjoying it, neat or on the rocks. Yeah, that's true. Because one of the challenges I have around the world when I'm talking about rums and doing trainings um, to a new rum market is the fact that uh, when I suggest that you can drink your rum neat, people are like, what? Drinking rum neat? No, no, no. Rums are made to be drunk with Coke uh, or made with a, with a mixer. That's it. They, they don't equate the whole rum to being sipped neat because the most popular rums in their countries or the most popular rums they've had connection to have been the cheaper rums that you would naturally just mix. The more premium rums, rums that have been extensively aged, have not really gravitated towards their regular drinking patterns haven't really emerged on their in their bars, their local bars. So um, it's a slow process, but um, it, it is it is starting to. There are a lot of a lot of countries, a lot of bars, a lot of restaurants, uh, high end drinking dens are now looking at rums and saying, "Well, we need a really, we really need a really good rum shelf um, in our bar because there's some great rums out there that we can sell at a premium and we can offer to our more premium customers or discerning customers." That's right. Yeah, and there, and there's some uh, good bargains, right, in rum these days. <laughs> Well, yeah, I always like to say with rums that you get more bang for your buck, mm-hmm. and um, and it's been proven time time again. Especially when you do blind tasting, a lot of that to do with the tropical aging. So, um, as you know, uh, it, it, you know the Caribbean and the tropics are quite warm, um, quite moist as well, humid or even dry heat, just like a like Louisville or will be uh, in in the summer period. So that bourbon down there is aging rapidly. And, and they're evaporating at an alarming rate in the in the summer period, and in the winter period it cools down. But in the Caribbean, it's average. It's average hot all year round. So they're constantly the liquid is constantly expanding and evaporating at an alarming rate to the tune of three or even four times faster than say whiskey in Scotland. Mm-hmm. So a, a, a genuine ten year old rum from Jamaica could have uh, the same type of maturity as a thirty year old whiskey in Isla, yeah. in Scotland. Right, um, right. But that ten year yeah, that ten year old whiskey, uh, ten year old rum 
is not going to cost as much as a 30-year-old whiskey, so you're getting more bang for your buck if you're looking for those deep, beautiful, woody, woody notes, those dark fruits or cacao and toffee and all those big, rich flavors you, you'd expect from an aged spirit. And you, you're getting that for a, from a 10-year-old, and then that 10-year-old rum is going to cost you, I think, in the States, a, a good 10-year-old rum. A proper genuine tender room is going to cost you what, maybe twenty bucks, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, maybe even cheaper. Well, yeah, yeah, it seems like yeah. we're starting to see the prices rise a bit. You know, you're, start, yeah. you're starting oh, no, to see that's, starting to see thirty five dollar rums, forty dollar yeah. rums on the shelf. But, well, it's a double edged it's a double edged sword. That's because right. A lot of rum, a lot of rum purists have been saying rum needs to be rum needs to be respected. It needs to reach the levels of the single malts or the bourbons, the rise. Now they're complaining. They're saying, "Shit, yeah. everyone else is drinking rums, and the yeah. prices are going up." <laughs> <laughs> I know. I thought it's it was. True. I thought it was our little secret yeah. for a while there, but uh, you know. exactly, exactly. <laughs> now everyone, and I'm one. Of, I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of saying to people, "You guys should be paying more for. Forget the scotch. Forget the brandy. Yeah. Forget it. Drink rum. I pay a decent price for it." And now I'm saying, "Damn, wow, they're charging that much." Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I can only buy one bottle instead of the three bottles I was able to buy. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of people, uh, as you know, in this climate now, people are looking to invest now as well. And a lot of people are driving the prices up because they're buying up stock just mm. to speculate. They're mm. buying a bottle to drink and maybe five or six bottles because they know that within six, seven months, especially in a limited release of, or a limited release of certain distilleries, the price is going to triple, quadruple. Oh, yeah. Um, such that people are speculating with rums now, which <laughs> is... A good thing and a bad thing. <laughs> right, sure. Well, um, to bring it back to the daiquiri, we, we'll usually use yeah, a, uh, yeah. s- a silver rum, right? And yeah. uh, rum, rum, I think, is unique in the fact that it's often aged and then the, the color's filtered out, right, with with many That's silver right. rums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, some countries like Puerto Rico, uh, rules and regulations in Puerto Rico to be a rum have to be aged for a minimum of one year. So all Bacardi, Honcu... Uh-huh. Uh, Barrelito and all the rums from Puerto Rico. Yeah, minimum of one year in wood, so they get a little bit of color. So they need to uh, filter that through charcoal to take that out. Venezuela, rums have to be two years in barrels before they, be, they can be called rum. Hmm. In Jamaica, uh, you don't have to age uh, mm-hmm. your rum to be called rum or any of the English Caribbean islands. So different rules and regulations for different countries and different interpretations of what a, a white rum is in those countries. But that's the beauty when it comes to a daiquiri. Because, I mean, for me personally, I love light rum inside daiquiris. I don't, want, I don't really want a rum that's anything older than a three, year, three years old as such. Because I like my daiquiris crisp and subtle flavors. And I want to be able to drink six or seven of those yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a sitting. In a sitting. Um, so nice and crisp and easy to drink. Nice and balanced um, as well. And uh, when you get a really good white rum um, inside there, that can really be the backbone of a really good daiquiri. Um, whether it's an age, an, an age rum that's very light age, like a, like the Bacardi's and the uh, Don Q's of the world, if you want it really bone dry, or you want it with an intense flavor, like um, a pot still, the pure rum from Jamaica, or even um, the uh, agricole rums from Martinique or Guadeloupe, because the sugarcane rums have a different flavor profile. But they're all unaged, but distilled in a different way, so you get in a lot more of the raw material flavors and congeners and esters and uh, inside that inside that rum or you might want something that's a little bit more smooth and rounded so it's been aged a little bit longer maybe it hasn't been charcoal filtered you get a little bit more of the woody notes inside there um unfortunately in america they can't get uh cuban havana club but uh, the havana three from cuba makes a mean daiquiri which one um the, the havana three three-year-old ah. from um, cuba absolutely makes an amazing daiquiri but Funny enough, and I know it's controversial, um, 
the Havana clubs from Bacardi that sold the states they'll make a bad daiquiri no. um, as well. So uh, again, using the right in you know, the right right way. So yeah, when a daiquiri when a daiquiri is made well and you've got a really good rum and the rum is a showcase of the actual drink um, and it's just accompanied by a really good fresh fresh lime different types of sweeteners. I mean, I like using um, gum syrup, sugared syrup, um, demerara syrup, all different types. Then you're going to make a really good drink. And again, it's a simple drink, simple drink to make, but a simple drink to mess up as well. That's right, uh, yeah. The rum should be the star of a daiquiri. That mm-hmm. should be the, the showcase, showcase right. of a daiquiri. Right, right. Just to jump back on um, rum, abricol, if you could just uh, give the definition of that for anybody who doesn't know, or what the difference right, is yeah. with other rums in the world. Yeah, well, well, for um, a rum agricole, when we say agricole, we mean agricultural rum. Um, these are rums made from fresh sugarcane juice as opposed to molasses, the byproduct or leftovers of making uh, sugar. So with agricultural rums, uh, these are normally attributed to the French colonies. And that's historic. That's the historical reference because um, there was a stage where um, the French colonies weren't able to sell their sugar to the English colonies. Um, so instead of making all that sugarcane go to waste, they just crushed the juice and made rum um, from that as opposed to making money from sugar and then the byproducts of sugar, molasses, which is what they used to do. So, yeah, so they started making agricultural rums. Um, or as, a, as, a, as Martinique, they call it rum agricole, which is a legal definition, a legal term um, in Europe. Um, only rums from um, the French colonies are allowed to use the word agricole on their label. In fact, the only other nation in Europe that's allowed to use that is Madeira. Uh, which is part of Portugal. They're allowed to use the word agricole hmm. on their label. But um, I like to call them sugarcane rums or agricultural rums. Sugarcane rums is actually a better definition for general consumer because they just say, oh, it's rum from sugarcane, which hmm. is what it is. Right. So, uh, yeah, so sugarcane rums, agricole rums, um, they have a different taste profile from rums made from molasses. And especially if you've distilled them in a, an alambic pot still, because you then retain a lot of those uh, sugarcane notes, herbaceous, flowery or floral notes that you had in your wine that you use to distill and make your rum um, from. So, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're very flavorsome, very flavorsome and make a different style, different base for your uh, daiquiri. If you're right. that. Or uh, as is made in Martinique a lot, I, I believe, is the uh, tea punch, right? Which is some, very similar That's to a right. daiquiri. Yeah, but, um, yeah. They, they have the tip-onch. And it's funny, when we think of a cocktail like the daiquiri, the tip-onch, um, uh, caipirinha in Brazil, uh, they're all basically the same same drink, yeah. uh, rum-lime sugar or a sugar cane spirit and, and lime sugar. It's just how you make it and how you present it. Uh, a tip-onch will always be presented most of the times in Martinique in a way where you turn up at a bar or you turn up at a restaurant. They'll put the bottle on the table of rum. They'll give you a little bowl of sugar and they'll give you a lime or cut limes. And you squeeze the lime in your glass, you add your sugar, and you add your rum. So you make the tip-onch um, the way you want it. So you should never have a bad tip-onch. Right. You made it. <laughs> it <laughs> sounds like bad. a great time, too. <laughs> yeah, it's a great way of doing it. I, I can't say it in French because my French is really bad, but it trans- the, 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 the phrase used to describe a tip-onch is you prepare your own death. <laughs> Um, and that's the phrase that's used in a tip on. So you actually make the drink yourself. And then when you finish with a bottle, you give the bottle back to the bar. They mark off what you've used and you pay for that. The difference between a tip on and a daiquiri, although the same ingredients, is how it's prepared. Right. Um, a tip on should be no ice. It should be just a squeeze of lime, sugar added, your own sugar, and then your rum accordingly. And then, of course, caipirinha is using Brazilian style of rum, uh, the cachaça, lime and sugar, shaken or, or muddled inside a glass. Uh, with some cubes of ice. 
Well, Ian, I really appreciate your time and uh, no problem. And uh, hope to run into you again soon. Maybe uh, are you making the trip yeah. for uh, Berlin, uh, the Brooklyn, uh, Berlin? Oh, one hundred percent. Oh, great! I'll, I'll, I'll be see there. there. I'll actually be in. I think I'll be in America for two weeks because uh, the week before that, I think it's Hukilau. Um, oh, what a, where is that? Down in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, oh, I'll, I'll be. I'll be in. Hukilau. Oh yeah, Hukilau, the big tiki event. Um, in Fort Lauderdale, and that's the uh, first week. I think it's the first or second week. It's actually the week before Brooklyn, uh, BCB in Brooklyn. Oh, cool. so that'll be a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I found out recently that the Miami Rum Renaissance has moved from Miami and is now in going to be in Fort Lauderdale. And it's also going to be the same weekend as Hukilau. So Whoa. I think in Fort Lauderdale they're going to have Miami Rum Renaissance at Hukilau. But I'll be at Hukilau. Um, with uh, some bartenders from all over the United States and um, and all over the world, talking tiki, talking rums, um, making drinking loads of daiquiris, having fun, of course. <laughs> and then the following week in Brooklyn. Oh right, rum, <laughs> that's great. Well, I'll see you in Brooklyn. Unfortunately, I probably won't make won't be able to make the trip down to Florida for that. But it yeah. sounds like a great time. Yeah, we'll have fun in Brooklyn. I'm really looking forward to uh, to uh, the debut of uh, BCB there because I've I've done all the BCBs in Europe, in, um, in in Berlin, and they are that is for me the best. Yeah. A spirited event um, in the world. Um, it's just amazing, amazing two days. New York needs a, a really good spirit show, Absolutely. a good cocktail show because yeah, because there's so many bars and uh, spirit lovers in New York, and yeah, they deserve a good show. So fingers crossed that um, this show becomes as good, and even even if it's half as good as Berlin, it'll be a great show. Awesome. Well, we'll see you there, and uh, I really yep. appreciate your time. No, no problem. Cheers to you, my friend. All right, let's mix up some daiquiris. And if you're interested or you just want to see the inside of the studio here, you can uh, see a video of it on um, on our in our show notes that go along with this show on bartenderjourney.net and on our YouTube channel, which is The Bartender Journey. It's not traditional. Not everyone does it, but uh, I like to start with a little bit of salt. I, I make a saline solution with sea salt uh, dissolved in warm water, a couple of drops of that. We'll put that into our small tin. Demerara syrup, simple syrup made with Demerara sugar. And we're going to do um, just uh, about three quarters of an ounce. Next, one ounce freshly squeezed lime juice. For this batch, I'm going to use Bayou Rum. It's their silver rum made in Louisiana. And we're going to do two ounces of that. Next, we need some ice to shake with. We use uh, a big two-inch ice cube and a couple of what we will call agitator cubes, smaller cubes, in there to uh, shake things <laughs> to shake things up a little. Excuse my fingers. I'm the only one going to be drinking this, so it's okay. So we want to. Give that a good long shake with the two ounce with the two inch ice cube. We find that uh, you have to shake a little longer to get the proper dilution and the proper temperature, but uh, get a nicer consistency with that big ice cube. Honestly, this needs to go a little longer. That big two inch ice cube takes a lot of work. goes into a chilled coupe glass 
Ideally, the glass would be in the freezer, but uh, I just chilled it with some ice today. Cheers, there you go. I mixed up two more batches of daiquiris using Prichard's rum. Uh, we used their crystal rum, which is their uh, their white rum, their silver basically, and uh, that came out good as well. It's different for sure, you know, use a different rum and it, t- it tastes a lot different. Uh, they also sent over a bottle of key lime rum, which uh, just had to try that with the daiquiri. It came out, uh, it was a little a little too sweet. I could, if I cut back on the simple syrup, it might have been better. Um, but that was uh, interesting, had to, had to give that a try. So there'll be that second video there, uh, if you like to see, on the on bartenderjourney.net of me making uh, the, the other daiquiris with Prechard's rum, and that'll be on our YouTube page as well. All right, let's get into a little bit of the history of the daiquiri. You know, the origins of so many cocktails are, are murky and difficult to trace. For example, there's that story that the Manhattan cocktail originated at the Manhattan Club in New York City in the 1870s, where it was, uh, the story goes, it was invented at a banquet hosted by Lady Rudolph Churchill, the mother of Winston Churchill. The event was held to celebrate the election of Samuel J. Tilden as governor of New York State. However, in his book, Imbibe, David Wondrich disproved this by showing that Lady Churchill was actually busy giving birth to Winston in England at the time. The case of the daiquiri, though, there was a written recipe dating back to the end of the 19th century. The daiquiri was apparently invented by an American mining engineer named Jenning Cox, who was in Cuba after the Spanish-American War in 1898. As the legend goes, while he was entertaining guests one night, Mr. Cox ran out of gin. Rum was produced on the island and was easy to find, so he procured some rum and added lemons, sugar, mineral water, and ice. His guests loved it and wanted to know what it was called. It could have been called a rum sour, but he decided to name this delicious drink. He thought it needed a better name, and he called it the daiquiri after the nearby beach. Mr. Cox's handwritten recipe survives to this day and is preserved and made available online by the Cuban Heritage Collection of the University of Miami Libraries. And we'll have a picture of that upon the show notes. The daiquiri became widely consumed in Cuba by American military and business people. It was introduced to Washington, D.C. at the Army Navy Club around 1909, supposedly by the U.S. Navy Admiral Lucas Johnson. The recipe appeared in print in, uh, in books around, starting around 1916. There was a book self-published by Hugo Enslin, and it was called Recipes for Modern Drinks. He called it the Cuban cocktail, but according to David Wondridge, he changed it to daiquiri in a later edition. His recipe is one jigger, or two ounces, of Bacardi rum, two, ash, two dashes, or a teaspoon, of gum syrup, and juice of half a lime. Uh, Incidentally, this book was probably the last major cocktail book published before Prohibition. There was a Washington Post article titled, The Most Influential Cocktail Book to Date. And in that article, David Wondridge calls the book, quote, an arc, although its author didn't know he was building one at the time. As it happened, Eslin's book was the last train out, end quote. The author of the article, Jason Wilson, goes on to say, quote, If you want an accurate guide to what people were drinking before Prohibition, this is your book, end quote. The book is out of print, but a digital copy is available online. We can't wrap up our discussion of the daiquiri without mentioning Ernest Hemingway and the Hemingway daiquiri. Hemingway was well known as a cocktail enthusiast, or maybe enthusiastic drinker is a better way to put it. He was also diabetic and needed to watch his sugar intake. Of course, the classic daiquiri has a good dose of sugar in it, so the Hemingway daiquiri evolved. We will use the recipe from Philip Green's great book, To Have and To Have Another, a Hemingway cocktail companion. 
It's two ounces of white rum, one teaspoon grapefruit juice, one teaspoon maraschino liqueur, and half an ounce of fresh lime juice. Frappe, crush or chip ice, add to a shaker, then add remaining ingredients. Shake well, then pour entire contents of the shaker into a chilled cocktail glass. Then there's the Papa Double, which uh, doubles it up. Three and three quarters ounce white rum, two ounces fresh lime juice, two ounces of fresh grapefruit juice, and six drops of maraschino liqueur. And the, the instructions here are to blend with ice, serve in a large chilled goblet. Philip Green, who wrote that book I just mentioned, is a fascinating guy. He was our guest uh, back on show number 181. The daiquiri is close to many bartenders' hearts. In the book from the influential New York City cocktail bar, Death & Co., there are daiquiri recipes, or specs as we call them, from nine different bartenders, alumni of Death & Co., plus four pages of daiquiri variations. I hope you'll go and uh, make some daiquiris. I know we're doing this show right here, uh, the first show of 2018, so Happy New Year. It's uh, it's cold up here in the Northeast, but uh, any time's a good time for a daiquiri. And I hope you'll go mix yourself one up, and cheers to you. We'd like to thank Bayou Rum and Prichard's Rum for supporting this episode and providing plenty of rum to play with as we mixed up some daiquiris this week. All right, here's our toast. May all your troubles during the coming year be as short as your New Year's resolutions. Cheers. We'll see you next time on the Bartender Journey Podcast. 